Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Necessary Roughness Podcast, episode number 161, presented by Last Word on Sports. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all enjoyed Championship Sunday, and hope you all are enjoying the little, I guess, reprieve, you know, the cooling off period we have before we ramp up into Super Bowl coverage, into Super Bowl mode, if you will, uh, which is going to start pretty darn soon. We'll break down the championship games in this one. I'll give my annual take on the Pro Bowl, and then we'll move into awards and such, along with some news and notes along the way. So let's jump right in to my standout seven. So, as we are inclined to do in playoff situations, we will go chronologically, and we'll get started with the NFC Championship game, which was... A clown fiesta, a bleep show, um, there's plenty of ways to describe it, but unfortunately none of them are a great football game, um, and this is not the fault of the host team, the Philadelphia Eagles, who will be representing the National Football Conference, the defending champion conference, though no one really looks at it that way, in Super Bowl 56 in a little over a week. Um, early in this game, we had a controversial play which was, first of all, a controversial decision by Coach Nick Sirianni to go for it on fourth down early against San Francisco, right? Potentially giving up some momentum. You get a huge throw by Jalen Hurts, a great catch by Devontae Smith. Uh-oh. Um, after further review, which I find it kind of unfortunate that, and this happens fairly frequently, I'm not in the business usually of ripping people who don't really get any credit, Right. Why should you be able to get ripped if you can't get any credit for putting on a great show or things like that? I found it kind of odd that we didn't get a replay relatively quickly, considering maybe it was the number of angles, the number of cameras, maybe it was hard to do, whatever. We didn't get a replay of this Devontae Smith grab early in this game until after the touchdown and the commercial break following, and I don't know about you guys, but I found that kind of odd. Now, considering the way the game played out, it's quite honestly all's well that ends well, I guess. But if you're a 49er fan, you're thinking that kind of changed the momentum of the entire game. I would agree with you. Um, Then we have a Brock Purdy injury, which I said, I mean, obviously, it's, I'll tell you it's 2020 from there, but it looks like hindsight, obviously. He got hit on the elbow, and I'm thinking it's maybe a nerve injury, maybe, you know, somewhere in that UCL range. It comes out that it is a UCL injury, but he's going to be out for, I believe it was six months is the timeline that they floated. We'll see what happens if there's a second opinion, how things go in terms of rehab, but obviously Purdy could not throw the ball. Right-handed quarterback hit on his right arm in the elbow area. They go to Josh Johnson, who relatively promptly gets a concussion, and then they have to go back to Purdy. There is no emergency plan for the guy who was already the emergency quarterback, which you can rip Shanahan if you like, saying, oh, they should have went to a Wildcat or something like that. I I don't know. I mean, how many contingency plans do you realistically need to have here? I mean, they were saying on the broadcast McCaffrey would be the emergency QB. McCaffrey, a guy who came over in the middle of the season. Um, Is he really ready to run their little shenanigans wildcat offense that they installed for one scenario? And unfortunately, it's the scenario that happened. I mean, I don't know. It was rough. It was 21-7, I believe, before it was announced that Johnson was out. Purdy came back in. I mean, it was bad. It was really bad. Um, Congratulations to the Eagles, and it's really an unfortunate ending. We've been going through these playoffs, and as we talk about the teams that are eliminated, we talk about their season. I think, considering everything that San Francisco had to endure, um, this was a tremendously successful season. If nothing more, you can make the argument they've answered their question at quarterback. Um, And I would say the answer to that question is the Mr. Irrelevant, quote-unquote, Brock Purdy. I mean, the kid played great. At the least, he's earned the right to be their starting QB entering next season. Um, What do you do with Trey Lance? I don't know. That's a question I think we'll broach in the offseason on this show. I say that my first takeaway would be let him rehab, 
Let him get better. And considering Purdy's injured as well, let's see what happens. Right? Let's see what happens. Um, I believe Shanahan was asked about the possibility of Garoppolo returning, and that was kind of shot down. I understand that. I mean, Jimmy G will wind up somewhere. He's a starting NFL quarterback, right? As much as I say he won't necessarily win you games, being able to perform adequately and not lose the team games is more than enough to keep your job in the NFL usually. So, and considering we have teams looking for QBs, and he, you know, just like Tom Brady had ties to Vegas via their head coach, McDaniels, who's to say that Garoppolo doesn't have ties there? Although Devontae Adams has already started campaigning, at least coyly, for an Aaron Rodgers trade to Las Vegas. But we'll talk about that when we have news to break or in the post-Super Bowl sort of structure we go into in the offseason. Um, I don't know. I would say, can you give them an A-plus without it being a Super Bowl? I would say yes, because they've gone from Trey Lance to Garoppolo to Purdy, and the only reason, realistically, they didn't get a chance to put up a fight in that game is because their quarterback got hurt very early. I think San Francisco would have put up a fight. I think they would have lost. However, I don't know if that would even necessarily mean that they're still not an A-plus of a season because you're rolling with a seventh-round draft pick at QB, not to mention you made the in-season acquisition of one of the most dynamic running backs in the league to an offense that already had dynamic weapons like Debo Samuel, one of the better tight ends in the league, and George Kittle. I don't know. Um... It was a great season, and for 49er fans out there, it's really unfortunate that you hit snake eyes three times in a row, and you lose three QBs to injuries in the same season. It's kind of preposterous. I can't really remember anything like it for a playoff team. You know, you talk a few years ago in the COVID season, I believe we had the whole thing with a receiver playing QB for the Denver Broncos. That was not a great team, and it was the COVID year where things were all kind of wonky. Um, and we don't need to go too much into that. I think trust that you know what I mean. This was pure happenstance, actual football injuries, right? You have Lance go down with the knee injury. You have Garoppolo go down. I believe it was the foot. And then you have Purdy with the elbow. Then you have Johnson come in and get the concussion. I mean, somebody turned the injury slider down, man. This is, this is a little unfair. And, uh, sadly that's life, but they'll be moving on home and the Eagles will be moving on to the Super Bowl. Number two in the standout seven. Now, I, I, I trust, by the way, this is going to be a little bit shorter of an episode. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, we've got two games to break down. We've got some news and notes that I could probably, you know, do my thing and ramble on about. But I don't want to waste too much of your time. We're not going to pick the Super Bowl this week. As is tradition, we are saving that for the show the week, you know, the Friday or Saturday night before the game. So we can have injury reports. We can talk a little bit closer, more in detail, what we're looking at here. But uh, today, like I said, we're going to keep it focused, but we'll recap the AFC Championship game next, number two in the standout seven. Um, This was a weird game. And post-game, we have a fair amount of, you know, potentially, rightfully so, angry sentiments toward the referees. This was a weird game, folks. Um, early in the game, we have a Kadarius Tony drop touchdown. Andy Reid throws a challenge flag on that one. Didn't think that was a great challenge. Then we wind up with a holding call that pushes Kansas City back. They go for it. You know, we had a lot of field goals early on. This game ends 23-20, to obviously, if you've been off the grid and didn't realize what happened here. I think Cincinnati played pretty well. I do think... The end of game roughing the passer call will start at the end, I guess, because everybody knows how this one concludes. No need for the play-by-play. I think the roughing the passer call was correct, and I think it's a shame, because throughout the entirety of the game, you you hear Tony Romo and the broadcast mentioning how well Asai on the Bengals' defense, who for all intents and purposes, is not a big name, Joseph Asai, right? He's not one of their star players. He's not one of their more known players, right? He's not Jesse Bates. He's not even DJ Reader, Sam Hubbard, Hendrickson, but he was playing a pretty darn good game, and it's spoiled by the fact that he just, I don't know if he got carried away, couldn't stop his momentum, this, that, or the third. One of the few times all day Mahomes used his legs because obviously he's dealing with the ankle injury. 
he gets pushed, and then, well, the game's kind of over. Um, the reasonable take I've heard from Bengals fans, and I think this is an accurate one, is late in this game, the Kansas City Chiefs had the ball, right? With, what, three and change left? Four and change, somewhere in that range? And the Cincinnati Bengals defense stopped them. Did a great job. Zach Taylor declines the holding call, right? Right on the brink of field goal range. Cincinnati gets the ball back with two and a half minutes left and two timeouts. Two and a half minutes left, two timeouts. And they didn't get it done. So we come to a point where you look back last year, right? Huge game between Cincinnati and Kansas City. They went back and forth, back and forth. In overtime, Kansas City wound up losing that game more than Cincinnati won that game. The defense of Cincinnati won the game. I'll give you that one. But I think Kansas City, because they had a big lead, they took their foot off the gas, and they just couldn't get it done, right? In this one, Cincinnati lost this game. They did. Their defense was playing great damn near all day. I mean, three field goals out of Kansas City, including the game winner. Holding them to three and not seven is big. You take a look at the stats. Mahomes goes for 326 and two touchdowns. Man, it didn't feel like it. It really didn't. They had less than 30 yards rushing. I mean, they were very one-sided in their approach. You take a look, on the other hand, Joe Burrow, two picks in this one. Not great. The big roughing the passer we've talked about at the end, and the fact that they had the ball with their season on the line. Again, last year they made the Super Bowl. They had the ball to end the Super Bowl. People talk about it all the time. If Aaron Donald gets blocked, right? If he stumbles a little off the snap even, Chase would have been open, but he wasn't. Couldn't make the play. Couldn't get it done. Ay ay ay. Um we could go through some of these other things. I am I'm really frustrated with something I've talked about previously. There was a play in this game where Cincinnati won a challenge with no challenge. And I I don't like they didn't even take the challenge. They didn't count it as a challenged call. I believe it was either Cincinnati or Kansas City, obviously one or the other. I believe it was Cincinnati. That's what I wrote down in my notes. You guys correct me if you want. Comment section if where you're listening has one or social media, all social media, as usual, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. And they, it was a close call, I'm trying to remember what it was, and they said, oh, it's going to be challenged. And very quickly, the referee just went, nope, uh, you don't need to challenge it, no, it's overturned. Okay, so if we're going to have this system implemented, we need this to be, like, either codified, it needs to be in a rule, we need to know when this system is possible or plausible, when can it be used. You look, and we do this, comparatively, the baseball challenge system, right? It's pretty straightforward. You have a finite number of challenges, and then, when I believe it's either ninth inning or extras, one or the other, excuse me for not knowing the rule after I said it's codified, but still, you can appeal to the official, the umpire, who can then initiate a review, right? Okay, fair enough. So if we're pushing towards a system like that for the NFL, where you can just appeal to the official, or the official can get word from above, and they'll just reverse it as is. Okay, that's great, fine, and wonderful. I like accurate calls. I like the right call being made. I like when the best team wins. And usually if the right call is made, hopefully, that would facilitate the best team winning, or at least the best team on that day. But, unless I am woefully unaware, which is certainly possible, I'm not involved in NFL meetings or memos or things like that, obviously, this has come up pretty much only in the last handful of weeks. I believe I saw it a couple of times during the regular season, but it I started seeing it, was it week, I want to say somewhere in the week 15 range. Whenever the Giants played the Commanders, Let's take a look here at the Giants' schedule. Whenever the Giants played the Commanders on Sunday night football, that's the week that I started seeing something like this kind of coming up, and it was a little weird. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, week 15, Sunday night football. It was a little weird. I'm not going to lie. Where it's, oh, we're going to challenge it. Oh, no, they were not. A challenge was not taken. It was just overturned. 
Mm, but why? If we're going to go to a system similar to college football, where for targeting or certain things, it's just automatic review. Okay, I'm fine with that. But let's just all be on the same page. Maybe I'm the one not on the same page. By all means, maybe I'm just completely misinterpreting this. Like I said, if I am, shoot me a correction. I will gladly correct myself if I am, you know, just misunderstanding blatantly. But it's very weird to me. Um, Additionally, talking late in this game, uh, and I got to throw this out there. Tony Romo comparing Patrick Mahomes to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan's flu game. Michael Jordan at the point of the flu game, multiple-time champion, already considered one of the best basketball players in the history of basketball. Um, Patrick Mahomes, a one-time Super Bowl champion, one-time MVP. I mean, it, it reminded me... And look, I love Tony Romo. I think he's a pretty darn good color commentator. I like him and Nance. It's a good combo. I think of the main combos we have, you know, it's Buck and Aikman, who've been around forever. It's Tarico and Collinsworth, right? Michaels and Herbstreet. I really like Michaels and Herbstreet. It's just they got rough games, man. And then you have Kevin Burkhart, who, SNY alum as a New Yorker, it's, it's been tremendous to watch his meteoric rise of sorts. And Greg Olson, who are pretty good. Um... Nance and Romo have got to be near the top. I think Michaels and Herbstreit might be my favorite. But either way, hearing him compare Mahomes going out there with a bad ankle, granted, to Michael Jordan's flu game is the most WWE commentator talk I've heard in a minute. And I'm not trying to rip the WWE. They are tremendous at what they do, and it's pretty entertaining what they do. But... It is akin to, it's going to be the biggest episode of Raw ever, right? This is the greatest Royal Rumble victory of all time. No one has had a WrestleMania like Stone Cold, blah, 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 right? And it's it's just hyperbole on hyperbole on hyperbole. And usually, not always, usually in actual sports where there is no script unless you're Arian Foster, and we can talk about that later, That is not the goal, right? You don't want to do that. You've seen it in other sports where years and years ago it was, you know, hyping up prospects or this and that or the chosen one or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to compare the MJ flu game, which is one of the all-time sports highlights, period, to just, I mean, you don't know if Mahomes is going to win the Super Bowl. If he goes out there and they get stomped like San Francisco did, was it really the flu game? I mean... I don't know. That it rubbed me the wrong way. I thought it was very weird. Um, very, very weird. Big win for Kansas City. Let's go yearly review here. Yearly evaluation for Cincinnati. You'd have to argue it was a failure. And I've been fairly lenient on a lot of these teams, right? I just said that the San Francisco season was a success. A lot of people liked San Francisco coming into the year. But considering the injuries they went through, I said it was a successful season. I think Cincinnati was a failure, if nothing more than because you finally lost to Kansas City. Which, that's not the point of the season, but the thing you had over one of the other big dogs is they couldn't beat you, they couldn't beat you, they couldn't beat you. And, well, they finally beat you, and you don't really know how things are going to go once you've broken that seal, right? Once once Peyton Manning gets one over on Tom Brady, all right, well, how's it going to go? Then they play when he's in Denver, and, well, Denver wins. Oh, this is awkward, right? Once you've broken that seal, once the Red Sox took down the Yankees in 04, and they finally won one, they've been more successful in the last decade and a half than the Yankees have. That's just brass tacks. That's the way it is in terms of championships. Am I saying that this is going to be the be-all and end-all victory or failure, rather, for Cincinnati, and Kansas City's going to dominate the AFC? No, of course not, because there's more than two teams in the AFC. But the fact that they had that happen, on top of the fact that they didn't get to go back and right the wrong, so to speak, and win the Super Bowl, I'd have to say it's a failure. Now, is it an F? No. If we're doing actual grades, I would say it's probably somewhere in the range of a B. Joe Burrow had a pretty good year. The team was pretty good. They won the division. The end-of-year sequence 
involving, obviously, the once-in-a-lifetime, hopefully, uh, situation with their game against Buffalo, and then not getting a neutral, and the whole thing was weird. It really threw them for a loop. If this game was in Cincinnati, would they have won? Maybe. Maybe they would have. Because it seemed, according to the broadcast team at least, like this home field advantage was a little bit stronger than usual even for Arrowhead Stadium. Right? Even for Arrowhead, supposedly, this was a little bit more even than usual. Either way. Um, I'd give it a B. It could have been worse, but it certainly did not accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. <laughs> Decent season, though. Good darn season for Cincinnati, and I do think they got shafted at the tail end, if we're being completely honest. And I'm not talking about the calls in this game. I'm talking about the neutral site and the way everything played out after the game cancellation. Number three in the standout seven. Let's talk some coaching carousel updates. Vic Fangio is going to be the Miami defensive coordinator. Um, I saw a report that he's going to be the highest paid defensive coordinator in the league. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, Kellen Moore is gone in Dallas. We talked about this last week as we were talking about Dallas and the rumors were flourishing. And it uh, didn't take him long to find another job. He's moving on to the L.A. Chargers. Okay. Theoretically, a decent get for the Chargers, as, you know, Kellen Moore, not too long ago, but a few weeks ago, was considered a rising star assistant coach, or coordinator, rather, one of the better offensive minds. Granted, on his staff with Mike McCarthy, obviously Mike McCarthy, one of the better offensive minds from the head coaching uh, spectrum. Um, D'Amico Ryan's a six-year deal to be the head coach of the Houston Texans. You heard that correct. A six-year deal for a first-time head coach. That is uh, a little dangerous, but D'Amico Ryan's pretty well-regarded, obviously, as the D coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers. It's funny, by the way. We mentioned, we being I, I mentioned last week that we had, you know, Kyle Shanahan, who was the OC of the Atlanta Falcons when they went out and blew that lead, right? And he promptly went and hopped ship and got his job in a game that was obviously some of that blame has to go on the coaches. Well, now you're talking about a situation where D'Amico Ryans, obviously the offense wasn't what it was supposed to be because of the injuries, but they still gave up 30 on the road to Philly. And he goes, yeah, I'll be seeing you. Uh, that's life in a big city. I'm going to go be the head coach of the Texans. Good get for them, theoretically. Not to mention, obviously, he has a connection to the fan base from his time there as a player. Let's see how that plays in. Let's see if that makes them cut him a little bit more slack or they like him a little bit more, yada, yada, yada. Um, let's see what happens. The other interesting thing is Sean Payton is going to be the coach of the Denver Broncos. Now, okay, why is that so interesting? Well, first of all, let's talk compensation. Denver sent their 2023 first-round pick from San Francisco, which is number 30, and a 2024 second-round pick to New Orleans in exchange for Sean Payton and their 2024 third-round pick, right? This is apparently for explanation why it's San Francisco's pick. The first-round pick being sent by Denver is, this is per CBS Sports, is actually the one acquired from the Dolphins in exchange for Bradley Chubb. Miami acquired the pick initially from San Francisco, as part of the Trey Lance deal. So this is a handoff, handoff, handoff pick. But either way, New Orleans will get draft compensation. The story that broke after the fact is that Denver was smitten as well on D'Amico Ryans. And they pivoted to the Sean Payton acquisition after it became clear that D'Amico either had received an offer they were unwilling to match or beat from Houston, or just plain and simple, he wanted to be the coach of a team that he had ties to. He wanted to go back to Houston. Perhaps he liked his time there. I assume he did. Um, didn't hear anything otherwise. And he wanted to return there and do the job. Um, the reason this is interesting to me is Denver has the chance to bring in a Super Bowl champion coach, which not many teams have the opportunity to do, and they'd rather go with a first-time head coach. It's a little weird, right? 
Now, maybe that's a knock on Sean Payton. Maybe that's a knock on the situation they're in. Maybe Sean Payton and Russell Wilson crossed paths before and it didn't work out. I don't know. But I found that a little bit weird. You always hear that, you know, like when Mike McCarthy wound up in Dallas, you hear, oh, well, there's not many chances to go out and hire a Super Bowl champion head coach. Yeah, and in this this situation, perhaps it was having to give up draft compensation, which I would understand because they gave up draft compensation for Russell Wilson, and it hasn't exactly worked out thus far. Um, I don't know. Just something that'll make you think. Things that make you go, hmm, if you will. And we are technically in the offseason for 30 of 32 teams, so why not go with some things that make you go, hmm. Anyway, that'll bring us into number four in the standout seven. Let's talk about the Pro Bowl. And, oh no, sorry. Before we move on from the coaching carousel, we have a little bit more. Uh, The Bengals defensive coordinator, Lou Anarumo, and Giants OC Mike Kafka have gotten a second interview, or scheduling a second interview, with the Arizona Cardinals. Additionally, in some other news... Oh, we talked about the Kafka stuff last week. Never mind. That's all. So, let's talk about the Pro Bowl. And I am going to give you one quote from NFL star running back, I would say star, Josh Jacobs, who said, quote, this bleep is stupid. Josh was not a fan of the NFL Pro Bowl format. Obviously, they've got the, the flag football game tomorrow, I believe, right? I don't know. I haven't really been keeping up on this. Um, I saw Saquon Barkley playing dodgeball. Right? We're, we're playing dodgeball. We're doing the thing. We're having fun. Look, I will say this to preface my comments. I am all for players being rewarded for excelling at their job. I am all for the fan vote concept of it, where the players are being rewarded for being good at interacting with fans and making themselves more marketable, technically speaking. Right? That's the name of the game. You want the fans to like you. You want to play well. They buy your jersey. They vote for you to go to the Pro Bowl, yada, yada, yada. I get it. However, what about this version of the Pro Bowl games has anything to do with anything? Now, am I knocking the Peyton Manning and Eli Manning, you know, pseudo-sports celebrity inclusion? No, because... The NBA has done similar things with, like, the Rising Stars Challenge and stuff, where they have a legend draft a team or whatever. Or they'll have the little three-on-three challenge where they have a WNBA athlete, an NBA athlete, and a legend, and they're doing this, that, and the third. They're shooting a half-court shot and making a three and doing a dunk or whatever. Who cares? The thing is, considering the NFL has... And look, we've, we've had this rant. I'd be willing to wager... If you've been around a while, first of all, thank you. If you have, you've heard me say some of this stuff before. If you haven't, you'll get to hear it for the first time. Congratulations. But if you go back through and listen to some of the things I've said previously about the Pro Bowl, they almost all still stand. You're in a weird spot, being the most physical of the core four sports in America. Baseball, and I'm not saying the other sports are easy, but in terms of being physical and taxing and like quote-unquote gladiatorial if you'll go far enough it'd be hard to have an NFL all-star game in the middle of the season it just would you don't have an, a mid-season break like the other sports have baseball has all-star weekend so does the NBA so does hockey I believe so it's a little bit easier to arrange their all-star game on top of the fact that they can play a game or an approximation of their game and it's not taxing, and it won't get ripped by the fans, right? Baseball, they're still throwing hard at the All-Star game. Basketball, they're still throwing down dunks and shooting three-pointers and being entertaining, and then as the game goes on and on, it gets a little bit more physical and a little bit more like a real basketball game. Football, the reason we find ourselves in this spot is, for whatever reason, and the reason presumably being the players are so valuable to the teams and they're making so much money, they don't want them to risk injury for the sake of a random entertaining thing for a fan. I get it. You can't have J.J. Watt going out there, or T.J. Watt, rather, as we move on from the J.J. Watt era. You can't have T.J. Watt going out there and leveling a star running back like Josh Jacobs as he's entering free agency. 
that's bad for the business for him and bad for the business for everyone involved. It's a cute little highlight you can show. There's a clip from forever ago of Sean Taylor hitting a punter at the Pro Bowl. And it's like, oh, that's great. But if the punter would have got hurt, right? Like if something would have went badly here, it wouldn't have been worth it. It's a meaningless game. So the reason I say it's a weird spot is because, like I said, they don't have the midseason break. And even if they did, you couldn't have a game with the normal amount of physicality for fear of injury, which is theoretically why they put this game at the end of the year to begin with. But evidently, that didn't help enough to where this game can still be a football game. So, okay, we're going to play flag football. Maybe it'll be entertaining. You know, maybe I'll catch some highlights of it. I doubt it, realistically, because another reason the Pro Bowl's in a weird spot is because it's the week before the Super Bowl. Everyone is thinking about the biggest football game of the year. Or, if your team has been eliminated, you're done, right? If you're a fan of the Tennessee Titans... Do you want to go out there and watch Derrick Henry play flag football? No, you're you're probably a little frustrated that your season ended the way it did, and you're like, man, I don't know. Well, we'll get him next year. All right, what, what else we got? You know, you're going to go watch a Grizzly game because you're in Tennessee, eh? You're going to go watch the Grizzlies, or you're going to go do this, do that. It's a weird place to be in to put your all-star game the week before the championship. And I guess it could potentially work, right? Like, if you did a home run derby the week before the World Series, people would probably watch, right? I guess. I don't know. It, it's not. It's also not really, like, an occasion. Like, the NFL Pro Bowl doesn't really move locations. I believe this year the all stuff is being done in Vegas. For the longest time, it was all in Hawaii, because the players wanted a vacation to Hawaii. But the other All-Star games move around two cities. Right? You can catch the Home Run Derby at Yankee Stadium once every 20-something years, so it makes you want to go. If it's always in Hawaii, either you like Hawaii or you don't. You'll catch it one of them, but you're not going to go and say, oh, yeah, oh, I really got to go. It's special this year. It's the 30th anniversary. Like, what are we doing? Come on. Um, now, I, I realize the easiest thing to do is to discuss a problem and not present any solutions. And that's explicitly what I'm doing, and that's what I do almost every year on this topic. Because I don't think there necessarily is a solution. I don't think that there is an easy way that we can resolve this issue. Like I said, if there's not going to be a mid-season sort of normal all-star game proceeding, if there's not going to be actual football, per se, being played, I don't know if this is an issue which can be resolved. I think you're fighting an uphill battle, and it's hard to win that, right? You throw Eli Manning and Peyton Manning and some star power at it, and you have Ray Lewis, and you have Demarcus Ware, and it's like, oh, cool. And it's it's not even, I don't know, it's not even necessarily that it's not football sometimes, because they used to do the quarterback challenge, and I'm sure they did some facsimile of it this year, but it, it just doesn't grab. It's not the home run derby. It's not the three-point contest. It's not the dunk contest, right? It, it's not, It's not. I believe, in, in either Japanese baseball or Korean baseball. They have the bunting contest for, for, for pitchers. Like, I'd rather watch that than watch Saquon Barkley play dodgeball with insert fellow Pro Bowl player here. The other thing that I would touch on that I'm sure I've touched on, we're doing the sixth season here, probably six times is the fact that the Pro Bowlers don't even go to the Pro Bowl. And I I can't rip somebody like Joe Burrow for not going because he just played a long, hard season and he just got eliminated and he probably just wants to get his mind off of football and I get it, fair enough. However, what's the point of the fan vote if we have Tyler Huntley, who played in a handful of games and isn't even the starting quarterback of his team, going to the Pro Bowl? What are we doing at that point? Like, that's it's a little ridiculous, guys. I get it. You know, it's all-star replacements, whatever. Derek Carr was there. Is that because he's in Vegas? Derek Carr got benched, and he's getting traded, and he was leading the league in interceptions prior to getting benched. What are we doing? Look, Derek Carr's not a bad quarterback. I'm not making that argument. But it's the Pro Bowl. Isn't the Pro Bowl or the all-star game of a sport supposed to feature fan favorites and or the best at their positions? 
like, look, I've seen some of those where it's like, you know, it's a little bit of a meme or the fans get together and do a little social campaign to get so-and-so into the All-Star game. But, I mean, Derek Carr? Like, I didn't realize Derek Carr had that kind of pull. Okay. Maybe his impending trade will be tremendously interesting. But, I don't know. Sorry to Roger Goodell in the NFL. It's You're trying. You're really trying. And I can't knock you for trying. But for me, a diehard football fan, and I think this speaks for some of the football fans out there as well, it's an unwinnable fight, considering the circumstances you have currently. I appreciate the attempt, but that's just where we are. Number five in the standout seven, let's get into the reason you're here. Let's get into the title. It is awards time. Let's hand out our end of year awards. Also, on the Pro Bowl thing, before we move on, Josh Allen from the Bills said he was hurt. Didn't go to the Pro Bowl. He's out golfing at a Pro-Am. Or a tournament, one or the other. Like, at least have the decency. If you're going to say, like, ah, you know, I'm hurt, you know, I'm beat up after the year, I don't want to go. Like, don't go out and do something so explicitly public that it's going to wind up on social media like you're mocking the league, right? Like, that's where your bread is buttered, man. Like, come on, Josh. I know they had a rough end of the season in Buffalo. I get it. But what happened to, like, well, the fans voted me in, so I'm going to go. and Like, Peyton Manning was at the Pro Bowl damn near all the time after Tom Brady was sending him home. Like... How many years was the narrative, oh, Peyton Manning can't win in the playoffs, and you'd see him at the Pro Bowl doing his thing. It's like, well, the fans voted me here, so I'm here. All right. Interesting. Either way, end of year awards, folks. So, embarrassingly, excuse me, let's take a look at my beginning of the year predictions, which are all awful. Well, not all of them. Most of them. Most all of them. MVP. Tom Brady. Horrible. Absolutely awful prediction. Awful. Offensive player of the year, Jonathan Taylor. He got hurt. I'm calling a mulligan on that one. Maybe next year. Oh, by the way, defensive player of the year prediction, Von Miller. He got hurt too. I, I, come on, guys. What can I do about that? Offensive rookie of the year, Chris Olave. It's a good pick. I was expecting Jameis to have a pretty good year. Dalton was there. Dalton was all right. You know what I mean? Nothing crazy. Um, Olave had a good year. Had a good year. We'll talk offensive rookie later. Defensive rookie of the year. Kayvon Thibodeau was in the running for me, but I went with Kyle Hamilton. Uh, I don't think anybody would argue Kyle Hamilton is a bad player, but for a rookie season, you know, it, it didn't produce insane statistics and it's at safety it was there was discussions throughout the year that the fit wasn't great the way he was being utilized yada 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 you know highest was it highest drafted safety of all time so I figured let's make some more records here didn't work out I still think he's got a good future ahead of him comeback player of the year I had two Baker Mayfield was my pick man that didn't work out um and Trevor Lawrence was my second pick which is where we get into the dilemma that we have literally every time I talk about this award. Comeback, right? It's comeback. Well, for him, it's only his second season, so what is he coming back to, right? Is he coming back to prominence? Is he coming back from an injury? He wasn't hurt. They were just bad. All right, well, I had him as a comeback because they had a bad rookie year and we knew he would be good or we thought he would be good out of college. Either way, I went with Baker, and that's wrong. I had Matt Rule as coach of the year at the beginning of the year. He got fired. Fired. Anyway, mid-season picks. These are probably a little bit more accurate now, huh? I had Jalen Hurts edging Mahomes and Allen for MVP. As we sit currently, Jalen Hurts, along with those other two fellas, and Joe Burrow and Justin Jefferson, are your MVP finalists. Offensive player of the year, I had Tyreek Hill edging Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, and Cooper Cup, who wound up getting injured right now. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Hurts, Justin Jefferson, Mahomes are your finalists. This is finalist list per The Athletic, by the way, per Mike Jones and The Athletic staff, published a little over a week ago. 
Defensive Player of the Year, I had Micah Parsons over Matt Judon. Right now it is Nick Bosa, Chris Jones, and Micah Parsons. Offensive Rookie of the Year, I had Damian Pierce, who really burst on the scene there. I had Travis Etienne with asterisks. I don't know if he's considered a rookie. I don't believe he is. But every time I use Stat Muse to look at my statistics, shout out Stat Muse, he's listed as a rookie, and I think that's the NBA designation or like an MLB designation. I don't believe the NFL follows that designation where if you didn't play, you're not a rookie. Because he was injured before he played a game last year. Don't think that's how that works. Uh, I had Pierce over Kenneth Walker and Alave in at third. Right now, per the Athletic, the finalists are Brock Purdy. Who, who could have seen that coming? Kenneth Walker and Garrett Wilson. Defensive Rookie of the Year finals. I had Sauce Gardner over Hutchinson. It is Gardner, Hutchinson, and Tariq Woolen of Seattle. Comeback Player of the Year. I had Saquon over ETN, once again, with question marks, and Geno Smith. The finalists are Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, and Geno Smith. My Coach of the Year was Sirianni, because at the time the Eagles were damn near unbeaten, if not undefeated. Then I had Kevin O'Connell at second, Sala and Carroll in third. The candidates, or finalists I should say, are Brian Dayball of the Giants, Doug Peterson of the Jaguars, and Kyle Shanahan of the 49ers. Assistant Coach of the Year, we didn't pick, but is Ben Johnson of the Lions, Offensive Coordinator, D'Amico Ryans, Niners D Coordinator, and Shane Steichen, Eagles Offensive Coordinator. So, as we sit, with all the shenanigans out of the way now, who are my picks for all the big awards? Let's get started with the obvious one, the biggest one. We're not going to make you wait like the actual NFL honors probably will. The MVP per Necessary Roughness, hosted by Nicholas Donatic, brought to you by Last Word on Sports, is Jalen Hurts. Now, I fought with this one. I did. Because Jalen went down, and usually, if you wind up injured, it will find a way via statistics or your team doing well without you. They didn't do well without him. Will the statistics come back to bite him? Because at the end of the season, he winds up playing 15 games. He's 14-1, 22 touchdowns to 6 interceptions. Oh, by the way, he has 13 rushing touchdowns and 760 rushing yards. Would have broken 800, maybe 900, maybe 1,000, who knows. Would have ended up with over 40 all-purpose. The second candidate for me is Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, on a team that traded one of the most elite offensive threats in Tyreek Hill, career high in passing yards, 5,250, 41 touchdowns to lead the league, 12 interceptions, down technically from last year, sprinkle in four touchdowns and 358 rushing yards, right? He's a strong contender. I... Would not be shocked if Mahomes walks away with this award. However, my argument would be, people don't like to see the same person getting awards over and over. I know he's a one-time MVP, right? I know he's not in that Peyton Manning or Brett Favre or, or Tom Brady, obviously. He just hasn't had the longevity. He hasn't been around long enough. However, I do think people would like to see a new face rewarded. And considering the level of play the Eagles have been at, I think Hurts should be the guy. I've got Jalen Hurts as my MVP. And additionally, it's a little weird. We're looking at the two quarterbacks of the best teams in the league. Obviously, it shouldn't be weird. But usually the MVP doesn't win the Super Bowl. You go back to Matt Ryan, right? That year where they choked, he was the MVP. Let me go back to Cam Newton, MVP tier Cam Newton. Eh, it didn't go so well in that Super Bowl. Peyton Manning in Denver. I believe the year, well, the last year they won it, he was not the same guy that was MVP Peyton from a few years prior. You can make an argument for Jefferson. It's hard to win MVP as a receiver. Um, I mean, they weren't the best team in the conference. He didn't really set, like, a crazy record. I mean, 1,800 yards, I believe that was less yards than Cup last year, wasn't it? Like, Cup, 
Cup didn't win the MVP when he was doing crazy craziness last year, right? Yeah, 1,950 yards and 16 touchdowns. He had better numbers. Yeah, no, I can't give it to Jefferson. The other one listed here per the Athletic again, uh, Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's an interesting one. Josh Allen. I wouldn't give it to Josh. I think, unfortunately, Burrow and Allen were robbed of the opportunity to make their MVP case in that Bills-Bengals game. I really do. I mean, if you take a look at the way things were shaping up, obviously it was, what, 7-3 or 7 nothing at the early part of that game? Burrow ends the year with 35 touchdowns to 12 picks, a career high, just shy of a career high in passing yards. He would have broken both of those, right? Five rushing touchdowns, so he's got 40 TDs. Who knows what happens in that game? Number of interceptions, obviously comparable to Mahomes. Josh Allen, just a little higher on the picks. 42, 83 yards, 35 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. But you add in a little bit more rushing with Allen, 760 yards and seven touchdowns. Early in the year, he looked like a lock to be the MVP. It's certainly possible he still sneaks in to the MVP discussion. Obviously, he's a finalist. He sneaks some votes away. Um, But I'm going to go with Hurts. I really am, because the top of the AFC is kind of a cluster, and considering the way it ended was a little unsatisfying, we didn't really get to see who the top, top dog was. Um, I'm going to go with Hurts for me in this one. Offensive player of the year, this is where I give Justin Jefferson his recognition. Justin Jefferson was a dynamic receiver this year. He was tremendous, and I think for that reason, he should be the offensive player of the year. I know right now, as we say, The candidates are Tyreek Hill, Jalen Hurts, Justin Jefferson, and Mahomes. I would say if Hurts doesn't win MVP, he will steal this award away, right? Tyreek Hill, there's an argument, but I think he was hurt a little bit by Tua not being out there. You take a look at the stats. I mean, Tyreek Hill winds up with 100 yards less than Jefferson, one touchdown less, nine catches less. He didn't have his QB. So... If he had two of the whole year, he might have cleared Jefferson, and then this might have been his award to win. Unfortunately for him, and unfortunately for Tua, obviously we all know what happened with the concussions down in Miami. I'm going to go with Jefferson. My number two, and I like to do two and three for this one. My number two for this one is Josh Jacobs. I mean, no love for the guy, and I know he's not a finalist. He can't win. No love for the guy that runs for 1,650 yards and has 400 receiving yards. No love at all? Really? 12 touchdowns? I mean, Derrick Henry's right behind them, and everybody, oh, Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry's tremendous. Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb's tremendous. Yeah, of course he is. Josh Jacobs, in a contract year? 2,000 yards all-purpose? No love. I find that ridiculous. When I started looking at this, honestly, I was considering Jacobs pretty heavily, and I was like, well, I can't give him the award. He's not going to win. He's not going to win. He's not a finalist. It's impossible. It's it's a little ridiculous to me that he wasn't a finalist. Um, I also find it kind of weird the way these award finalists are even done. There are five MVP finalists. There are three for Defensive Player of the Year. There are four for Offensive Player of the Year. Who determines the number? Why are there four for Offensive Player of the Year? Why are there five for MVP? What's going on here? Just make it either three for all of them, five for all of them, four for all Just pick a number. Pick a number. Associated Press, just pick a number. Is, is it that some of these awards didn't even have people placing? Like, is this... I know baseball has the points based on, like, first, second, and third finishing for awards. Maybe they don't want to do that. All right, fair enough. But, like, you got to have enough people. they got to have the same number, in my eyes. Defensive Player of the Year. I'm going Nick Bosa. It shouldn't shock anyone that I'm giving the Defensive Player of the Year award to the sack leader in the league. Um, 18 and a half sacks, hard to scoff at. Great defense. He's one of the big reasons. The other finalists, Chris Jones, tremendous player. Micah Parsons, tremendous player. Uh, wouldn't shock me if Parsons found a way to steal it, considering a lot of people were salty that he didn't win it last year. But I think this is Bosa's year. For me, another one. Number two for me is Hassan Reddick. I mean, Hassan Reddick is a menace out there. Five force fumbles, three fumble recoveries, 16 sacks, just slightly behind. Right, just slightly behind Nick Bosa and a Philadelphia Eagles defense which led the league in sacks. They were tremendous. I, I don't know. I don't know how he's not in there. 
for consideration, but here we are. QGR to Chris Jones. I get it. 15 and a half sacks. Kansas City Chiefs, one seed. Tremendous. Great player. Micah Parsons, he does so much. He's got 13 and a half sacks, three forced fumbles, three recoveries. He's all over the place, right? He's got more tackles than a lot of the guys that I just mentioned. But I don't know. I'm going Bosa, then Reddick. If I had to go by the list, I'd probably go Bosa, then Parsons, then Jones, just because Parsons has the versatility. Either way, Nick Bosa's my guy. Offensive Rookie of the Year, the candidates we are looking at. Brock Purdy, which it wouldn't shock me if he won it, just based off narrative, right? Um, Kenneth Walker III in Seattle and Garrett Wilson with the New York Football Jets. I am going to go Garrett Wilson here. Garrett Wilson, great year, honestly. Tremendous year. 17 games played, 1,103 receiving yards, 83 catches, 4 receiving touchdowns with a team that had a quarterback controversy, right? That should give you a little bit of bonus points in my eyes, genuinely. Um, More so, how is Chris Olave not even on the list? I mean, like, come on, guys. 1,100 yards, 83 catches, 4 touchdowns, 17 games. Chris Olave, 15 games. 1,040 yards, 72 catches, also four touchdowns. It's not like Andy Dalton is Drew Brees, guys. Like, I get it. I like Garrett Wilson, too, but Chris Olave is damn good, man. And I'm not trying to defend my pick from the beginning of the year, because quite honestly, it doesn't matter to me if I'm wrong. It's probably better for the content if I just say obnoxious things, right? I mean, I watch sports talk TV, too. That's just the way it is. You say obnoxious things, and then, you know, virality is up, and engagement is up, and blah, blah, blah. But genuinely... I think Alave got a little, a little snubbed here. You know, honorable mention to Drake London and George Pickens, who had good years. Um, my number two here is Kenneth Walker. Like I said, ETN thing confuses me. I don't think he's eligible. Uh, I would also say Damian Pierce, darn good year. 13 games, 939 rushing yards, right? Over 1,000 all-purpose in 13 games. Darn good year out of Damian Pierce. He, he deserves some love, and he's not even in here. It might go to Purdy, though, just by way of, I mean, Mr. Irrelevant, the story and all that. It might. It really might. And he'll go out there and probably accept the uh, the award with a cast on his arm. But either way, Defensive Rookie of the Year, the candidates we've got. Sauce Gardner, also of the Jets. What a draft class. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson of the Detroit Lions and Tariq Woolen of the Seahawks. I would say Woolen has little to no chance of winning this award. Nothing against him, but... This is going to be a hard fish to fry, so to speak, right? To get over that edge is is a hard ask. Sauce Gardner is a really good corner. The thing is, though, it's, in my eyes, and I think in practice, hard for a corner who's not putting up, you know, statistics, interceptions, pass defenses, and yada, yada, yada. I believe he actually did have quite a few pass defenses, pass deflections even. But if he's not putting up the interceptions, I think it's going to be hard for them to give him this award. 20 pass deflections. Yeah, damn. But maybe because it's the Jets and it's a big city, they'll give it to him. Quite honestly, I'm going to go with Aiden Hutchinson. Maybe I'm just being that guy. I mean, D-lineman slash sometimes up at outside linebacker or whatever. I mean, nine and a half sacks, right? Two fumble recoveries, three pass deflections himself. Oh, no, by the way, three interceptions at D-lineman. I'm not saying the guy's J.J. Watt, but come on, man. That's a heck of a season. That is one heck of a season. Give me Aiden Hutchinson, just edging out Sauce Gardner for the necessary roughness version of the award. I'm sure the the real-life award from the AP will be Gardner. But for our show, for the sake of handing out an award and being a little different, we'll go Aiden. Comeback Player of the Year, the candidates we have, Saquon Barkley of the New York Giants, Christian McCaffrey, as we said, and Geno Smith. I think we went through all these already. Um, I tend to think they'll probably give it to Barkley. However, I, in reading some other lists, saw gambling odds for this award, and they had Jared Goff at plus 700. And I was mystified. I said, first of all, I didn't even realize Jared Goff would be eligible. He's not. He's not going to win. However, I looked at this and I said, hmm, let's look at the statistics. Jared Goff last year, 
right? 19 touchdowns, 8 picks, a 3-10 and 1 team. This year, 29 touchdowns to 7 picks. So the interceptions went down slightly. 10 touchdowns more, 1,200 more passing yards. I'm going to give it to Jared Goff. Now, I know it's going to go to Saquon. I know it probably should go to Saquon. You can make the argument for McCaffrey returning to his old dominant self, but I don't know. That's a weak one in my opinion. Um, Gino, it comes down to the same thing. How do you define comeback? Because he's not coming back to anything. He was never like a star player. He's Gino Smith. He's he's up and coming, if you will, even though he's in his 30s, right? It, it's a little weird to me. I don't know where you'd go. Gino, tremendous improvement award, if you will. Burst on the scene award, most improved award, but comeback player of the year. Um, I think they'll go Saquon. I wanted to show some love to Jared Goff, just cause. Coach of the year, we've got Daybol Peterson and Shanahan. Shanahan, I guess it's all because of the adjustments, right? From what he had to deal with with all the quarterbacks going down, and I can get that. I really can. Uh, I can understand him getting some votes for that. Me personally, I'm gonna go Peterson. Because Trevor Lawrence last year to this year is a tremendous difference, and the team, the Jacksonville Jaguars as a team, are a night and day difference. For me, second place would be Daybowl, but it would be a tie between Daybowl and Dan Campbell. Because Dan Campbell straight up didn't make the finalist list for whatever reason, and the Detroit Lions were good this year. The Detroit Lions are never good. They never are. The Jaguars were good a handful of years ago. They have a blue-chip prospected quarterback. Doug Peterson did the job and turned him around. I respect that he deserves to win. Coach Dayball of the New York Giants. Saquon Barkley was tremendous as a rookie, and he just hasn't really put it together since then. Daniel Jones piecing it together, being more efficient on offense. I get it. But Dan Campbell deserves some love, man. He needs to be in the running for this. This is like when uh, the coach of the Baltimore Orioles didn't make the finalist list, I believe, in the American League for Manager of the Year even though the Baltimore Orioles, a team that has been perennially awful for years, all of a sudden was a contender till the end of the season. If you take a bad team and you're contending, that's good enough for me for you deserve, you to deserve, rather, to be recognized on a national scale like this, right? Is Coach Campbell the best coach in the league? No, none of these guys are necessarily the best coach in the league. But turning around an atmosphere like that, look what I just said about Jared Goff. They were coming to this season thinking, we're going to be awful, We'll draft Bryce Young or something at the top of the draft. Now they're genuinely people that are considering, well, I mean, Jared Goff looked pretty good out there. Could they do it with Jared? Well, I mean, he almost took him to the playoffs. He played pretty well. I don't know. That's a big turnaround. For that reason, I think Dan Campbell deserves some consideration. At the least, show him some love. That's all I'm asking. Just show him a little bit of love. Number six in the standout seven, before we go news and notes, and before we finish it all off, we can't go the whole episode without acknowledging that one Thomas Edward Brady is hanging him up again. And I thought it was cheeky that he said you only get one emotional, drawn-out, you know, retirement, and he decided to end it quickly. I can appreciate that as somebody in the sports media, but you know what, Tom? You can do whatever you want. It's your career. If you wanted to drag it out and think about it, then by all means, do your thing. Um, You know, would it be the best for the team or whatever, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. It's your life, right? It's your life. It's your career. It's at the end of the day. I hope that he's happy with what he's accomplished. He is one of, if not the most accomplished athletes in their respective sport of all time. Um, Are there some regrets in there? I'm sure there are. Everybody's got some. But at the end of the day, his accomplishments, I believe, outweigh those So, good for Tom, and I wish him nothing but the best in retirement, whatever that may hold. Is he going to go into coaching? Is he going to be an analyst? Is he going to join? I said this before to somebody when I was discussing it was, you know, they have the Peyton and Eli broadcast, and it's interesting. It's kind of fun watching them hang out. I want to see the Peyton and Brady broadcast, where it is kind of clear that they at least didn't used to like each other, or perhaps still don't. I think that would be just as fun, watching them break down games where they're both kind of, you know, throwing jabs at each other constantly. You know, the the brotherly love with Peyton and Eli doing it. I get it, but no, 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 no. Go even deeper. Show me the Peyton and Brady. I think that'll be fun. Um, Yeah, but what, what else can I say about Tom Brady? We talked about it before, the Mahomes uh, comp from Romo to Michael Jordan. You want to make a comp to Michael Jordan? It's, it's Tom Brady. It really is. 
And if we're being honest, and look, I love Michael Jordan as much as anybody, as as far as recognizing his talent and what he did in the NBA, but MJ didn't come back, didn't didn't win the title with the Washington Wizards, right? And now you can make the air, well, that team wasn't very good. You're, you're right. You're right about that, by the way. You are 100% right to make that argument. But Tom Brady going and just saying, you know what? I made a great dynasty in New England. I'm going to go to a random team. Uh, let's go Tampa Bay. Why not? And I'm just going to go win it down there. Now, did it fall apart rather quickly? Yeah. But, man. Winning a Super Bowl at home, too. I mean, what didn't Tom Brady do in his career? He hit all the marks you'd want. If you're making a superstar way back in the day, or connected franchise on Madden, you can only aspire to have half the career that Tom Brady has actually had in real life. And I think that is the ultimate compliment, and I, I think it's it's kind of insane to think about. It truly is kind of insane to think about. The only real argument left about Tom, and let me know what you guys think, comment section or social media, you know the deal, is Tom the greatest NFL player of all time? What does that even mean? How do you quantify that, right? It's easier to quantify in a sport like basketball, where theoretically a shooting guard like Michael Jordan has stats that can be compared to a small forward like LeBron James, right? Or power forward when he was playing in Miami and they were playing small. You can say, well, who's a better scorer? Okay. Well, who's a better on-ball defender? Well, I mean, LeBron's a little taller. Is he better in the paint? It's like, oh, but Michael's got the quickness. Yeah, great. Compare Michael Jordan to Kobe Bryant. Oh, okay. Comparing Tom Brady to Jerry Rice is like comparing the career of... To to keep it in, in basketball terms, I guess. It's like comparing Stockton to Malone, right? Who was the better player? Hmm. Well... They really did a lot of different things. I mean, Stockton has the assist record, but, well, Carl Malone off the field. We don't got to talk about that. But Carl Malone did this, that, and the third. And in the post, man, he was dominant. It's like it's a little bit harder to compare Jerry Rice, a receiver, to Tom Brady, a quarterback, which is why it's hard to be a GOAT at a sport like this that has two sides to it, right? Obviously, there's two sides to every sport, but it'd be like when they talk about greatest of all time in baseball, and they bring up somebody like Babe Ruth, and it's like, well, he pitched. It's like, oh, well, Hank Aaron had 40 more home runs. Like, yeah, but Babe Ruth pitched. Did you pitch? Like, It's like when they discuss the uh, the American League MVP every year now, that Shohei Otani is in the Major League, the major Leagues, rather. It's like, oh, well, Judge had 30, 30 points higher in batting average, and he had 40 more home runs, or 20 more home runs, or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but Otani pitched to a 2-3 ERA. It's like, all right, well, damn. It's hard to quantify, right? That's kind of a unicorn. We don't really have unicorns like that in football, like an Iron Man of sorts, to use the uh, high school, college sort of term, I guess. But uh, either way, congrats to Tom on a tremendous career. And that's coming from somebody who was born and bred New Yorker, New York Giant fan. I've watched plenty of it up and down. Uh, thankfully there was some down in there, right? But a hell of a lot of ups. Congrats to him. We'll end with news and notes here. Um, Kyler Murray reportedly out till likely mid-season, which will presumably impact the way the Cardinals approach this next season, right? Um, it'll be a weird one for the Arizona Cardinals. We'll talk about that more in the offseason. Uh, report coming down that Jalen Hurts is in line for a big contract extension. Well, we just talked about him being in the Super Bowl and potentially winning the MVP, so that is uh, a little Captain Obvious to me, but you know what? I respect it. Joe Mixon of the Cincinnati Bengals, their starting running back, had a warrant issued for his arrest, which was since apparently taken down, repealed. I don't know the word that you would use. Um, The... Articles that I read about it were saying that there's still a pending investigation and that the person that was making allegations against Mixon is still holding by those allegations. This was just pulled down because they wanted to investigate more. I would ask the question, why did you make this public then? That's kind of a big deal, right? Especially considering the field that he's in. If this needs more investigation, maybe you could have handled a little bit more deftly. But then again... That's looking at it from 20,000 feet. Being down there in Cincinnati, who knows what was going on. Um, Rumors coming out that T. Higgins is on the trade block. The word used 
quote, outrageous in regards to his contract expectations or wants for an extension. Kind of weird. I guess they're saying maybe he wants to be paid like a number one, even though he's clearly their number two. If he is going to be on the trade block, there will be a flurry of offers, I assume, because T. Higgins is pretty darn talented, and he probably could be a number one, depending on the team he gets dealt to, right? He's that good, and he has a big frame. And uh, like he says, he told a couple of the broadcasts, you know, winning those 50-50 balls, not with him. With him, it's not 50-50. It's 60-40, it's 70-30. T. Higgins is pretty talented, and based on those quotes, I mean, he's a pretty, uh, pretty confident young man. And he has every reason to be. So we'll keep an eye on that as we push into the offseason. So that'll do it for this week's episode, folks. Episode number 161 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. This was our year-end special of sorts. We've got two episodes left before we go to the monthly format. You know that. Next week, join us. We are going to talk Super Bowl 56. It's going to be probably... I said this was going to be a short episode. I'm looking at the time. We're already over an hour. So I'd say for next week too, but you know how I love to ramble on. Um, Either way, if it was your first episode or your 161st, thank you for joining us. And I'd appreciate it if you joined us next week, if you liked what you heard. Um, We'll break down the Super Bowl from as many angles as we can here. We'll talk Chiefs. We'll talk Eagles. And till next time. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.